I'm Andy Schwartz, and you're listening to Still Brazen, 20 Years of Queering Femininity, a podcast celebrating the 20th anniversary of the publication of the book Brazen Femme, Queering Femininity. This podcast was recorded at the Center for Feminist Research at York University in Toronto, a place also known as Toronto. This place is and has been home to many First Nation peoples, including the Anishinaabek Nation, the Haudenosaunee Confederacy, and the Huron-Wendat. The current treaty holders of this land are the Mississaugas of the Credit. It is subject of the Dish with One Spoon Wampum Belt Covenant, an agreement to peaceably share and care for the Great Lakes region. Welcome back for another episode. This week we have novelist Zoe Whittall in conversation with Allie Taylor, an emerging scholar in fat studies and femme theory. Zoe Whittall is a best-selling novelist and TV writer. Her latest book is called The Fake. She has won a Lambda Literary Award and has been shortlisted for the Giller Prize. Allison Taylor is a Shirk postdoctoral fellow at Revision, the Center for Art and Social Justice at the University of Guelph. She holds a PhD in Gender, Feminist, and Women's Studies from York University. Allison's dissertation, titled Fattening Queer Femininities, The Pitfalls, Politics, and Promises of Queer Fat Femme Embodiment, explored queer fat femme identities, embodiments, and negotiations of oppressions. Her current postdoctoral research uses arts-based methods to examine how intersecting ableism and anti-fatness constitute barriers to public resources, services, and spaces for people of marginalized genders in Ontario. Her research interest spans the field of critical femininities, fat studies, critical disability studies, and gender and sexuality studies. In her spare time, Allison can be found curled up with her cat Evie and a good book. Zoe contributed two different pieces to Brazen Femme, one piece of fiction called Fevers, Fallouts, and Fast Foods, and one co-created comic called Fat is a Feminine Issue. She has published several novels since then, as well as some recent essays about shifting femme identities, one called Femme Fatale, which was published in 2021 in Harper's Bazaar, and one earlier this year in Autostrado called Take Me to Low Femme Paradise. Allie is such a great interviewer. She makes such excellent connections between all of these pieces and draws in her own experience as a fat femme and her own research on fat femme subjectivities. The two of them cover fat activism in the 90s, how the fat femme experience and the meaning of femme in general has changed since then, the complexities of disability and aging as they intersect with femme, as well as fat hatred and performative fat allyship in leftist circles plus some hopes for a fat femme future. This conversation took place in the middle of Zoe's busy book tour for her latest novel, The Fake, and it really struck me what a special thing it is for all of these femmes to give time to this podcast. I have been in awe of Zoe Whittle since I read Bottle Rocket Hearts and Holding Still for as long as possible, around the same time that I read Brazen Femme in the early 2010s. It's been such a wild and wonderful thing to sit in on this conversation and the other conversations on this podcast between the femmes I've admired for like a decade and some of my really smart and talented friends and peers. The way that femme connects us across generations and time and creates these really rich moments of recognition is really special and just oh so powerful. So I just wanted to name that good fortune that I'm feeling to be in community with with these femmes, and to share some of my gratitude to the femmes contributing to this project. 
So now let's take it over to Zoe and Allie and begin where we so often do with Brazen Femme. So how did you get involved with the Brazen Femme book collection? I don't remember. (laughs) I just know that I was you know, in my 20s and starting out my career as a writer. At the time, I think I had probably published some poetry and I can't remember the year it came out, but my novel would have come out out like maybe one or two years later. Um, And I knew Chloe and Anna from the bar scene and, you know, various community events. I think that we had probably all read together at um, Elizabeth Reese used to do a night on Church Street called Clitlet, I think. And I think Chloe and I had overlapped socially. So we just sort of knew each other from around. And I think our work had been anthologized together before. So I remember wanting to talk about several things that come up in the fiction piece um, as being femme issues. And then I had newly, I think, because I can't remember my age then, I can't really quite remember when it happened, but like I had been thin when I came out at 18 and had kind of slowly my metabolism changed when I started taking antidepressants and like, it was very drastic. It was like six months. I became, I look back and I'm like, Oh, I was very, I was like a size 14, whatever, but like, and I'm much bigger now, but at the time it felt like a shift in my identity and about, and a shift in the way people interacted with me socially in the queer community and outside the queer community. And so I wanted to write about like the difference in, cultural, the sort of different cultural capital involved in being like a thin femme in in queer community and being a fat femme in queer community and how that changed um, how I was perceived. Totally. And I think that's so interesting and makes the experience of being a fat femme so clear that you were able to see it sort of from both sides, like as a normatively sized person, and then as somebody who was becoming increasingly fat. Mm -hmm. What was the femme um, and specifically the fat femme culture or landscape um, like in the early 2000s, um, in the like late 90s, um, you know, when Brazen Femme was published and in the works? It was it was around then that uh, the fat activist group Pretty Porky and Pissed Off had started, I think, in like the late 90s, early aughts. And then I, I was roommates with uh, Mariko Tamaki. And so she and Allison. And I think Lisa Yuso asked me to be involved as as um, my body changed. And um, I can't remember what year it would have been that I was involved, but they really did make an impact on the arts, the queer arts scene in Toronto. And I would say that, uh, so I, w- I had moved from Montreal, which had had a really vibrant inter-community art scene where like the poets knew the filmmakers, knew the painters, knew the activists and in Toronto when I moved there it was very segregated and even within the queer community everything was very segregated and so I think the queer community was no different most of it kind of centered around events that happened at Buddies and Bad Times Theatre and like lesbian cabarets and club nights and that kind of thing and I would say that fat femmes were sort of peripheral we were sort of peripheral um, I mean, I think that there were some fat femmes who were like pretty major cultural producers in that world, like Mariko, Tamaki, Alice Mitchell. I would say that the work that Pretty Porky and Pissed Off did helped that. Um, and it really kind of depended where, who you were with and, and um, like 
who happened to be around, <laughs> you know, like there's a lot of fat phobia in the bar scene, but then there were, there was also like kind of in moments like this unique place for queer bodies and non-normative bodies to, to have to find like homes and, and safe places. It just sort of depended on the day. Yeah, absolutely. How have you found that um, fat femme struggles, what it means, um, what fat femme activism looks like, um, has changed or stayed the same since that time? So I would say that it's it looks different now because there are, you know, people like Lizzo and, you know, in the wider culture, there's um, like the aughts were really bleak. Like I even look back at at photos or videos of pretty porky and pissed off I have like a my ex-partner Susie was a photographer and so she took all these great photos and videos of us and now I look at them and I'm like we look like thin people (laughs) almost you know by today's standards which is weird like um I guess it was like very it felt like it was really radical I think that there's more um like and I even think like queer culture has just changed so much um in terms of it's just gotten like in some ways it's gotten much more radical and in some ways it's gotten much more you'd probably have a better way to say this because you're scholarly but like just much more like liberal and mainstream I guess where it would be the words I would use now I think about fat femme in relationship with aging and like there's there's no bar scene for me anymore you know and it's more like I see people at parties every once in a while that I used to go out with regularly and that's just kind of what it's like when you age but I do think that like politically things have shifted, but I'm not really sure how to describe it. Mm. I guess it's like um, accessibility has gotten better. There's more fat representation. There are, there's so many more places to buy clothes. There's less reliance on like clothing swaps, et cetera. There's more discussion about fatness in general. Yeah. Yeah. I think that when I was doing my research um, and in sort of my own experience, the thing that I was most excited to see was how much fat femmes are like bigging each other up or like are supporting each other or like um, in my sort of like experience as a fat femme, um, for me personally, it's tied to butch because like I'm attracted to like butches and like masculine of center folks. But hearing like my participants in my research talking about like dating fat femmes, like sleeping with fat femmes, or even just like friendships um, that, you know, you might classify as platonic or romantic or that kind of like exist beyond all of these boundaries. I found that so exciting. Um, So many people talked about like their best fat femme um, and about existing in community. And, and I just, I love that there are relationships between fat femmes of all different types that are coming around and the ways that like those are giving us new ways to think about fatness and femme um and like desiring um fat femmes or like you know the ways that we're sort of making spaces for ourselves when the world is so fat hating um so in my experience and my research that would be one of I think the main shifts that I noticed and I think it's always been there but I think maybe now there's a more sort of pronounced explicit emphasis on um like femmes fat femmes supporting fat femmes that's great 
like when I am like went to revisit um, that chapter, like for our conversation today, and like when I've written about it previously, I think like one of the things that stood out um, was the idea of there being a high femme Rolodex and how it's full of, you wrote people who are tall, skinny with some tattoos and a snap to her strut. And I think that idea of not feeling like a true femme or like a real femme um, or like I could even could be high femme because I was fat really resonated with me. Um, but yeah, when I read your chapter and I think that it's really interesting that, you know, 20 years later, that still feels so true in so many ways. Oh, that's, that's too bad. I thought I had this, like, I think that sometimes when you get older and you look at youth culture and like younger queers doing things you're like wow there's things are so much better you know so I'd hoped it had become a little better um but yeah I think that there's still a I mean on the mask side too there's still a a thin ideal and that that's too bad and I also think that back then femme was a lot about like working class jobs including like sex worker jobs and like and um and that that had a lot to do with like who was seen as a real femme and who wasn't. Yeah. So I think that there was a sense of like real femmes have a certain kind of background and a certain kind of interaction with cis men and a certain kind of power, alternately like power leverage identities and also like much more disempowered positions that they came from. So it was like, yeah, it was different. And fatness was kind of like, you know, I think especially in the nineties, leftists were really, big on like fat as a symbol of capitalism and mm. excess and and like to be I think because back then like we really didn't have like my community and my friends in general at that age didn't have uh, a lot of connection to our families and so we had our own family structures and it was more like to be an outsider was just more normal I guess so like I'm, I'm trying to reconcile that with like you know the queers that came 10 15 20 years after us who like watched glee with their parents or whatever you know mm-hmm. yeah and I'm really interested with your involvement in pretty porky and pissed off um yeah how did pretty porky and pissed off and your activism there um relate to fat femme for you or did it I'm assuming <laughs> yeah it really did it, it just helped me have like friendships and connections and feel better about myself because I think like simultaneously as when I joined that troop I was like having the first experiences I'd ever had of like going out to a bar and, and hitting on people and them not reacting well like it because it had been like you know that didn't happen constantly but like there was a I used to joke about it in my stand-up act that like gaining weight made me force me to learn how to be interesting like I that I had thought that I was interesting but it was just that I was conventionally attractive. <laughs> and so people react to you so differently and they're so nice. It's like, it was similar to the experience I had of like, I dated butches for 18 years. And then I dated a trans man who passed and we, and he had two kids and we passed as heterosexual and cis in the world. And I thought everyone was on drugs because they were so nice to us all the time. And it was so weird And I had that same kind of dissonance when I gained weight and people started to ignore me or assume things about me that were negative or not be interested in flirting with me, et cetera. And it was like, because my body changed so quickly, I didn't really quite, like my friends used to joke that it was like the years always tits fell out of her bra all the time because she didn't realize (laughs) that her tits were changing, you know, like, uh, so yeah, 
Yeah, Pretty Porking Bissau was great. It was like having like a really cathartic social group to meet with occasionally and talk about um, fatness. I also just like learned a lot from everyone in the group because I had been political, but like I was a very typical kind of normatively sized person who like thought, you know, I thought like, of course I'm a fat ally. Of course I'm not an asshole about it, but I really was like just in subtle ways that I excluded my fat friends in certain ways. And I didn't think about them in certain contexts or like just kind of really subtle ways that like after becoming fat, I realized like, oh my God, I participated in that kind of oppression all the time in these small everyday ways. And so, yeah, being part of PPPO was really helpful just in having a community that was like a little bit more specialized than my queer community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was just reading your um, piece that you just wrote for Autostraddle, um, Send Me to Low Femme Paradise. Same. Um, <laughs> it's so good. And you talked in it kind of about some of your shifting experiences as a fat femme since like the start of the pandemic in 2020, and specifically how that affected um, the way you experienced your book tour this year. Um, Could you tell me a bit about what prompted you to revisit the topic of femme to you for that article? Yes. Okay. So I just had this really interesting experience of I lived alone during the most lockdown times in the pandemic. And So then, of course, I was like, who do I dress for myself and my dog, you know, and uh, so I wore a lot of sweatpants for the first time. And so like when I I had a book come out in 2021 and it was when I did everything online. So I would just like put on some lipstick and a shirt that looked cute and, and do Zoom events. But when it came to like going out in the world, I was like overwhelmed for for myriad reasons. But one of them was that I had outgrown a lot of my like clothes that I used to wear to do events. And also just styles had shifted in the interim. And also like, just like my last book came out when I was, oh my God, no, besides the one that came out in 2021, it had been five years. And so like the years between 39 and 40 and 46, 47 are like kind of, you change a lot. You Like every friend I see who was my age, when I see them now, I'm like, oh, we have, we're really middle-aged now. <laughs> Whereas when you're like 38, 39, you can kind of like, fake it because we have queer faces anyway so I started to be like what what should I wear it started as a fashion crisis and then it kind of became a little bit of an identity crisis where I re- I remembered that like there are certain ways that like queer women can dress in straight literary establishment settings with just like you know button-down shirts and um kind of one stones or just sort of plain plainer I guess and a little bit more on the masculine side and so I ordered all these shirts and I started to be like what if I just dress kind of like an academic lesbian from my generation and like which is something that had never appealed to me anymore but I started to think about it in a utilitarian way where I was like this can be kind of like a uniform to sort of cover up the issues I felt like I was having with aging and with my size and uh perception and and the 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 specter of like having to see myself in video on television shows or whatever, like if if I was lucky enough to get that kind of coverage from my book. So, because I had had the experience of in 2016, I uh, was nominated for a really big award. And every, you know, I had the experience of like everybody, all the other authors on the shortlist, all the other women were given stylists and they were able to like get dresses lent to them by designers, et cetera. Uh, but there are no like no one would do that for me. Right. And they tried to be like, Oh, here's your, here's your stylist. We're going to go to, 
this one, this exciting story. I'm like, that's the story I shop at all the time. It's the only one, you know? So, and that was when I was smaller than I am now. So it was just sort of like, well, I don't want to think about it. So I started experimenting with more like masculine clothing and it I didn't end up working out. And I ended up like kind of, you know, buying a, a little black blazer and trying to, um, you know, just do the all black jean, black blazer situation and, and run with it that way. So then I wrote the piece about like embracing low femme and embracing like kind of a more casual presentation of femme and how that feels a, a little bit better in middle age. Yeah. And I think also interesting to hear about how your experiences have shifted as you've aged as a femme, um, but also like pre and then during like the, you know, the ongoing pandemic. Um we thought that it was really interesting that in this piece, um, the one you just wrote for Autostraddle, you talk about low femme and then how um, the like the anthology, the 2002 anthology is brazen femme. And have you always identified as low femme or where might low femme fit in relationship to brazen femme? I think that like when I was younger, I was always high femme when I went out. Mm that in my everyday life like my friend joey in california like she never leaves the house unless she has her lashes on and her lipstick and you know a certain kind of presentation and i was never i never did that or periodically would kind of be in a phase like that but i think i always kind of like and i think it's partially like an adhd thing where like when i was young and also i used to be really broke so i felt like the cost of being that dressed up all the time was a harder a higher bar to meet but I think that like, you know, and I say in the piece in Autostraddle that I used to wear heels and then at somewhere around 30, I just got a couple of pairs of boots and that's all I wear unless it's pride. But also like, I think that like when I feel more high femme, when I want to dress up more high femme, it's when my life is more social and it's when I think it's a little more, I go through more high femme phases if I'm dating butches or if I'm dating someone where that like it kind of interaction is more playful and interesting whereas like if I'm not in a butch fan dynamic then I just kind of feel like a little more like um and I'm more I have a more of an introverted life that's where I feel like a little more low femme yeah for sure I loved how in the auto straddle piece you talked about low femme in relationship to fatness um, and talking about like the pressure as a fat person to be, you know, hyper feminine um, and look, you know, like at least you can say that you're put together and that's like one way to sort of mitigate, you know, the fat hatred that's coming at you from all angles. Um, so how mm -hmm. do you, how do you negotiate that being low femme and sort of the, yeah, the ways that like fat hatred, you know, trickles in from all ways there? Yeah. I, I think that like, as, as I get older, the less I care, I think in so many ways. And I think that pre-pandemic and during periods of time when I've been single or like going out more, I felt more pressure. I certainly feel more pressure in professional contexts. Like I also work in television. And so I feel that pressure acutely when I have to go to network industry events or I have to interview in person or I have to work in a writing room in person with mostly straight people. I feel like they're, you know, that if you are a thin, cis, straight woman, you can sh show up to work in, you know, like a nondescript kind of pillow sack and people will be like, that's the height of fashion. And if I were to wear the same thing, I would look like I rolled out of bed and, and like, you know, 
wasn't trying. And I think people, if people really think that it reflects your clothing in that context, really reflects on your character and your ability to do a job well. And um, yeah, and I feel like I used to really try to keep up in those scenarios and that I think it's one of those weird positive gifts of the pandemic that like, and getting, becoming the age that I am, that I'm less and less stressed about it. Yeah, for sure. So I really appreciate it as a, like a, a person looking at somebody else. Like I really appreciate fashion and, and like really intent, like great makeup. And when people are really put together, I find it very like admirable and, and amazing. And it's just, it's more like, I always feel like I can, no matter, no matter what I do, <laughs> I can't quite ever get to that level. And so part of low fam, embracing low fam is more about like, just like accepting who I am, you know? Yes, for sure. For sure. Um, no, I've had a sort of, I think an experience of really embracing low fem, um, as sort of like, I've become like increasingly like disabled throughout the pandemic and just like not having the spoons to like, you know, make sure that my eyeliner flicks are perfect or like have that, you know, bright lipsticks. Like sometimes like my hand is tremoring and I can't do it. Mm-hmm. Or, um, like I can't like stand at my bathroom mirror for, you know, the, the 20 minutes it takes to put on a, a face like I used to. So I, I deeply relate to that. And I think that's so interesting looking at it from your angle of aging as well. What are some of the main ways that you think aging has affected your relationship to femme? It's so interesting. It's hard to parse like what is like being a woman, aging, feminist, like all kind of a mess. But I do feel like my femme identity connects me to my lesbian identity and queer identity. Like I I use lesbian and dyke and queer kind of interchangeably, even though I'm technically bisexual. I just think the word bisexual is so corny and awful. Um, You know, so um, I, the word femme, I feel like connects me to a type of queerness that feels like generational to me or feels like my community of the people that I love my chosen family like I feel like um no matter who I'm who I happen to be dating and I mostly have been dating queer men for the last little while using the word connects me to like who I think my core community is and also because like I I mentioned the generationally and the aging stuff because like when I hear or I read a 20 year old talking about femme identity online I just don't really even understand what they're talking about and I don't um relate at all and I that's okay. I feel like that happened when I was 21 and I was trying to talk to people in their forties. Like we just have different contexts. So yeah, I feel like there's a sense that like when younger people talk about femme identity, I feel like they're talking about everything. It's the same way. I feel like a lot of people talk about queer as though it means everything. (laughs) And I feel like for me, the specificity in queerness and dyke culture specifically is important to me. Like I, I wrote another piece for Harper's Bazaar about like femme being a queer word and the importance for me of that context. And I feel like, um, I think that's why I still cling to it. Like I still find it an important word, even though it is, it grows increasingly meaningless, not meaningless, it grows increasingly like big as a word, which is like, I'm fine with that. I'm not trying to tell anyone what anything means, but um, for me, it kind of is a part of my history that I think is important still. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Are there moments that you could point to where like you've heard, um, you know, like the next generation talk about femme where you've been like that? Yeah, that is not my that is not my experience of it. Like, wow, this is different. I think that straight people started using the word femme and like it was on T-shirts and H&M. 
for example, and like it's just sort of people say femme when they mean the word feminine. And to me, that's not what it means, but I feel like it increasingly is what the word means. And I also think there's this other thing that like super academic leftists will also say, well, femme only means this from this history. And it's like not even really true that that's the history or that's that's like one part of the history. But like, I just feel like all around there's like a real argument about like what femme means. And I don't know. I think it's okay that it shifts. I feel like, you know, the word the word butch has shifted so much that people don't even really use it anymore. So it makes sense that femme would as well. But for me, the, the terms are connected. And I think that that's really funny to me thinking about this book, because I remember how radical it was at the time, that it was a whole book about femmes. And, and there was such a, an effort involved to like, disconnect the word femme from butch because of how butch centered the conversation had been until then. And then I feel like the, the connection, the disconnection from butch has almost created something different, like a different problem in the intervening years, um, for me anyway. Yeah, I, it was so, like I went into a chapter's indigo one time and like, it was so disorienting to see femme on like a pencil case. I was like, what is, yeah. what is happening here? This is bizarre. Um, yeah. I don't think this is what you mean to say here. Um, so I, yeah, I can a hundred percent relate to that. And yeah, I think it 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 does. It does. I feel that as well, like this tension around who gets to define femme, what does it mean? Who gets to fit within it? Do we broaden it out to be inclusive? Um what do we well, yeah, what do we do here with it? Um, so I think that's so interesting. And I'm really curious to watch the ways that femme continues to evolve um and the different meanings that people make of it and the ways that it gets taken up. Yeah, like words just change. And like, I remember when we as a community started using the word transgender instead of transsexual, or when some people resisted using the word dyke. I think it's funny as you get older, like trying to keep up with the ways that words shift and the meaning change, and then like how that makes you feel about the words you still use. But yeah, to me, feminist is still very queer. And a fat femme body is kind of a queer body, no matter if you mean literally gay but a femme body if you don't mean queer <laughs> what does that mean you know like there are all sorts of questions I have about that what are some of your hopes for future generations of fat femmes um I feel like it would be great if like you know, like how young people like children specifically or like young teenagers, they just don't even give a fuck about queerness or like different identity categories. They're so like, I mean, not everywhere, but some in some places, like my friend who's a trans guy went back to talk to his high school, like just like five, 10 years ago. And they and and they were like, he's so normative. <laughs> he's so binary. And they were like, my gender changes like before lunch, you know, like there's just like for fat fatness and feminist like it would be so great if like for example there was like a cabaret or a queer night of performance and like there was a fat burlesque performer or a fat dancer or a fat writer who was on stage and the first reaction of the crowd wasn't like wow she's brave or this is new or I'm I'm gonna perform like being cool with this or or the assumption that 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 she's more radical or like if if there was just like an assumption that bodies come in all sizes and not to like paint over the like the very real oppressions 
or to not talk about them. But I just feel like my hope would be that, that there wouldn't be like this fat hatred lens, you know, like that things would change enough that I don't like the word fat phobia because I feel like it's really fat, fat hatred. But um, like, like I love when, when I'm in like a kind of lefty room and people are talking about fatness and, but there's still like a level of like, aren't they brave or aren't they interesting? Aren't they unique? And I feel like it would be cool if we got past that. And it was just like bodies come in every size, you know, I don't know. I maybe sound utopic, but it would just like, would just be, I think pretty great. Oh, I'm so ready to not be brave for just like putting on clothes (laughs) and like existing in the world because I have to. Yeah, exactly. Or to feel like, you know, people want to date you like the the feeling of like, oh, people want to be friends with you or date you not because of like any kind of performance of allyship or whatever. Like that's uncomfortable too, you know, in a lefty world. Yeah. Can you tell me a bit more about that? Has that been something you've experienced? Well, I feel like I'm not really in this world anymore, but I feel like there was a time when I did was around a lot of like leftist scholarly academic spaces. And I feel like there's such a insincere performance of um of not being fat phobic on the part of like normal normative sized people that feels like kind of great at first. And then like, just as weird <laughs> as other kinds of like, cause I feel like when you're, if let's say you're trying to date in that world, like there's a, there are people who are like fetishists. There are people who are genuinely attracted, but like kind of fumbly about it. And then there are people who like perceive you as having a kind of weakness mm. that they can exploit you know, like people who don't want someone else to leave them, for example, sometimes go for fat women or fat femmes because they feel like, I mean, this is, can be all unconscious that they would have some sort of like upper hand um, because of the way different bodies are valued. And so I feel like in, in a lot of like far left spaces, there's a lot of like denial of um, those kind of uncomfortable realities and the way that like, you know, the I'm more oppressed than you kind of dance that people go through in that world plays out in like real feelings and people if that makes sense yeah that 100 percent makes sense I just want to say that like I first read Brazen Femme um in it would have been like 2013 when I was um in university and I had like just come out as queer. A friend had said like, I think that you might be femme. Um, and I think femininity has, had always felt just sort of like weird or wrong or like it didn't fit me because um, I was a little fatty. And then reading Brazen Femme and seeing like fat is a feminine issue and reading that and like seeing my experiences like mirrored back to me was so mm. meaningful. So like, I think that your chapter and your work in that book um, really did something in terms of making femme expansive and making fat femme feel like it was a possibility um, and like a way for me to see myself and exist. Um, yeah. So I, like, I think that Brazen Femme's book and your chapter did so much. Cool. That's so awesome. It was a really big deal at the time for me to be published in that book because I did feel like it was like a significant contribution to like queer culture at the time and also like so to be a part of it was really exciting to me this 
podcast was created at the Center for Feminist Research at York University in collaboration with the Media Creation Lab at the Scott Library. It has been produced and recorded by me, Dr. Andy Schwartz, and edited by Rafi Naz and Michael Shahada. The podcast is sponsored by a number of departments at York University, the Digital Scholarship Center at the Scott Library, the Institute for Research in Digital Literacy, the Gender, Feminist, and Women's Studies Graduate Program, the Sexuality Studies Program, the School of Gender, Sexuality, and Women's Studies, and the Communication and Cultural Studies Joint Program with Toronto Metropolitan University. Thank you for listening. Thank you.